This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. The show will go live on Tuesday, July 4th. And you and Katie will be well outside of L.A. at that point, right? Uh, yeah, we'll be up at Santa Barbara. So if anybody's around, come say hi. Um, yeah, we just we watched Cutter's Way last night to get in the the Santa Barbara mood. Have you ever seen that that movie? Is that the one with Jeff Bridges or? Yeah, Jeff Bridges and John Hurd, and they're kind of bumbling into a murder investigation. It's really really great. That yeah. is so weird. You bring that up. I was researching Indiana Jones uh, last week for looking at Lucasfilm and came across the original casting director for Indy. Actually, it came down to two people. They saw everybody in L.A. It was Jeff Bridges and Tom Selleck. And Jeff Bridges, because he was just coming off of Michael Cimino, uh Damn it. Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate, yes. And it was one of these things where... I mean, and what's interesting is, obviously, now that we've all managed to see Michael Cimino's original cut of the film, as opposed to the the studio butchered cut of the film, we understand, oh, okay, it had a lot of promise, it was a good movie. But at that time, because I, I want to say it cost $44 million to make, and then only made like three point five at the box office, everybody associated with it... It was one of these things that all their reputations took a, a ding. And supposedly Jeff Bridges was looking for something to commercial to appear in, to recover from this. And so the casting director of uh, Indy supposedly went to George Lucas and, and Spielberg and said, look, we can get Jeff Bridges for a lot more than or a lot less than his usual quote. So you get a movie star to open your movie. But it was I guess it was Marsha Lucas who saw Tom Selleck's audition in fact have you seen this where it's tom Selleck doing the marion in the bar scene with sean young yes i have seen that yeah yeah, yeah. and it's just it was marsha was one's like no i think you want to go with this guy instead so in the end he gets cast jeff bridges you know he, he's looking for a commercial thing to appear in he agrees to do Tron, but in the interim, while you know they're waiting for Tron to go in front of the camera, he does Cutter's Way for MGM UA. Yeah, and supposedly MGM, because uh, Heaven's Gate hadn't been out yet, but they had seen the dailies, right. that's why they wanted him in Cutter's Way. Interesting. Because it was a United Artists movie. That's right. I think that's... it ended up being released by United Artists Shingle mm-hmm. because it, it was so disastrous. In its initial run, but it's a really wonderful little movie, and I, if you've never seen it, yeah. You know, when you look at the, the length and breadth of, of Jeff Bridges' career, I mean, don't get me wrong, yes, he's in you know, the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong. You know, I mean, every so often it's like, okay, that was a good choice. 
But no, he, he's done some delightful stuff. In fact, I, I forgive me, uh, folks, we will get to the animation news in a moment. But it kind of made me think, you know, we lost Alan Arkin late last week. And when you look at everything that he did from animation, I mean, he's the magician Schmendrake in The Last Unicorn. Or when I was running a cinema back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, we got Andrew Bergman's The In-Laws, which was only supposed to run for two weeks, but hung in there for like three months because everybody loved Peter Falk and, and Alan Arkin together. I mean, to this day, you know, Serpentine Shell, Serpentine. Funny, funny movie. Yeah. One of my favorite interviews ever was interviewing him and Bill Paxton together for Million Dollar Arm, that Disney movie from oh, a few years ago. no. It was really, really funny. And the best part was when Bill Paxton was trying to explain to Alan Arkin what the plot of Edge of Tomorrow was. Because <laughs> it was coming out, I think, that same summer. Oh, no. And it was absolutely hilarious. And now we've lost them both. So I really mm. treasure that. That interview even more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, all right. Well, anyway, folks, I promise we are now going to actually get to the entertainment news for this week. In fact, still no official numbers, Drew, but do you want to talk about what the projections were for, for Ruby Gilman? Yeah, I mean, uh, what what everything that I've heard is that it's, you know, kind of in the, the high single digits. Mm-hmm. So, like, eight, eight or nine million probably for the weekend, um, which is not great, and it is... Another ding against original animated movies in the cinema because obviously Elemental underperformed, but things like Super Mario Brothers overperformed. Um, but yeah, and, and I just want to advocate for this movie because it's very sweet and very charming, and we love Kirk, who directed it. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a shame. No, it is, it is, and and I it, and I'm trying not to read too much in here, but. For example, two days ago, the movie had been out a minute when they announced its release on digital uh, July 18th of this month. And by the way, as soon as Drew and I finish uh, recording here today, I'm going to do what I promised on last week's show. I'm going to go out in the rain and watch a whole bunch of movies back to back. And Ruby Girlman is one of the ones on my list because I, I think it looks charming as hell. And this is one of these things where, as Drew just said, an original animated film that we should celebrate and support. And that just doesn't seem to be happening this year. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how nervous uh, Universal is about migration coming at the end of the year. Yeah, I, but I know, but you were saying great things about what you used. Yeah, I, I think it looks great. Mm-hmm. I mean, that and Wish are both, you know, original animated features mm-hmm. still, still to come this year. And we still also have a Miyazaki movie opening at some point. It is so interesting you say that, because just before we got started here today, I was sort of drilling down into that. The title is How Can You Live, or How Do You Live? Yes, How Can I Live, okay. something like that, yeah. But the interesting thing is Miyazaki himself was concerned, because I guess it's opening in the next four weeks, and he's like, where's the promotional campaign? And this is supposedly the final Miyazaki well, I had heard that they had said that they weren't doing a promotional campaign, that it is just going to open up and people are just going to go and see it. And what's interesting is it's based on a classic Japanese novel, but apparently all they did was take the title. Wow. So you can't even okay. decipher what the plot will be based on the source material. Okay. And I've actually reached out to G Kids mm-hmm. and they won't tell me anything about a domestic 
release at all, Damn. which is weird because you would think it, they would want it in the awards conversation. Oh, no, 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 definitely. definitely. So, I, I, yeah, it's it's a big mystery. I guess we'll know when it opens in Japan and people start talking about it okay. online, but okay. yeah. All right. And speaking of people talking about it online, I, I was looking around, you know, the Nimona debuted on Netflix uh, just this past Friday night, June 30th. And obviously, Drew and I have been talking about this movie for quite a while. So it was great to finally get to see it. And I would put Nimona up there with Klaus and the Sea Beast. I think you know, this is some of the best animation that, you know, or, or I would put it side by side with some of the best animation up on Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I What about Pinocchio, Jim? Good God. Well, I, you know, it's a, Pinocchio, I mean, it is an entirely different animal. I hate to say it, I, I still do that. It's like, well, no, that's hand-drawn, and that's CG, and that's stop-motion. And if anything, you know, when you look at something like Pinocchio and how crazy ambitious it was and what it did with stop-motion, I mean, it's just sort of like, there's Cloud 9, and then, you know, you have to look at Cloud 11. That's where <laughs> I put it. I think he did such an amazing job with that. But yeah. what I liked about uh, Nimona, they kept the broad strokes of N.D. Stevenson's graphic novel in place. Lots of big action set pieces, sprinkled with little character-driven comedy. But anyway, we were talking a moment ago about what's going on with original animation. And I, I was making a comparison because, again, it's bothering me what's going on with Elemental. And so we are 15 days into its theatrical release, or at least that's the data that was available at Box Office Mojo. Stateside, it's made 80.8 million in ticket sales. If we compare that to Buzz Lightyear last year, this is exact same time, so 15 days into its its domestic release, it had already made 100.8 million. So it's on a 20 percent less pace but at the same time i had friends from pixar reaching out pointing out how well for example elemental had done just this past tuesday and it's like look it's a tuesday we made four million dollars people are clearly talking about this movie and they're bringing their friends and family to see it so it's like they'd like us to talk about it at the end of the summer and i i can get behind that idea because i like peter and I, i want this to succeed but but yeah, it is just so strange that it is doing the business that it is doing. Word of mouth, Jim. Mm, Word of mouth. Well, okay. I'll, I'll try to talk to other people when I'm at the cinema today. Okay, some Warner Brothers uh, related news now, folks. want to remind you that this Thursday night, July 6th at midnight, uh, we get the first two episodes of My Adventures with Superman. It debuts on Adult Swim and shows up the very next day on Max. And have you seen this yet? Have you seen... I haven't seen it. I actually don't know if I have screeners, mm-hmm. but it, it's sort of an anime influence. It is. Superman. It looks it looks really charming and fun. Yeah. I'm thinking the same thing myself. So uh, first step, two episodes back to back till uh, share a title. They're called The Adventures of a Normal Man. Did you finish Unicorn Warriors Eternal? I have not. I have. Not. Have you started it? <laughs> Whoa, look at the time, Drew. <laughs> wow, we, wow, we have wow. A, I know, I know. You have been saying such wonderful things about it, and it's just sort of like tomorrow is my, in the morning while Nancy's teaching, I go out and do shopping, and literally on my list is 
to get myself a whiteboard that I can keep in in within eyesight so I can do things like Nimona is available today. Go watch that. You know, Unicorn, yes. the thing you said you'd be watching for weeks. Go watch that. So I'm literally doing that. But also on that whiteboard would be the Venture Brothers. Radiant is the blood of the baboon heart, which uh, comes out July 21st from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment. And you've seen the trailer. You've seen the, the clips that are out there. What do we think? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm excited to see them wrap it up. I'm excited for a big R-rated, you know, Ventures bro- Venture Brothers adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on digital the 21st, and then it's on physical the 25th. So, Jim, if you want to find it on one of your Target runs, then okay. you can wait a few extra days. But I yeah. will give that a shot. I will give that a shot. I have to say I'm a little concerned about the Marnox marriage. I mean, haven't you always been? I, I, I mean, have, but the, the, the stakes seem a little higher this time around. Oh, and speaking of cool stuff from Warner Brothers Discovery Home Entertainment, did you get to see the trailer for Babylon 5, The, the Road Home? No, but I'm very intrigued by this, mm-hmm. particularly because you and I know that J. Michael Straczynski started out as an animation writer he on did. things like the real Ghostbusters he did. and he did. He did. things like that. The original Babylon 5, which ran its syndication from February of 93 through November of 98, for the longest time, I would consider the gold standard for science fiction. For te- I mean, it was literally, it was a novel for television. And if you hung in there and watched all five seasons, they'd set up something in season two that wouldn't pay off till the tail end of hell, season four, you know, in the middle of season five. And it was just be one of the things you'd watch something and it's like, there was a wonderful scene with Stephen First character, Veer, who talked about, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when your head will be uh, on a pike, and, you know, and I can come up and wave at it. And it just, it was something he said casually to a character again, in season two. And then the, the fact that J. Michael Straczynski had mapped this all out in the middle of five, you actually got to see that. And it was only if you'd been paying attention for the whole show, was like, holy shit, that was great. <laughs> and what's especially interesting is if you look at the vocal cast, they brought back so many of the people from the actual show. I mean, Bruce Broxleitner, uh, Bill Momey, uh, Claudia Christensen uh, are coming back to voice the characters from the show. Even the, the, the gentleman who, uh, Peter, what's his name, we did Londo. Really, really looking forward to this. And I think this is supposed to be the first of several animated I, things, I'm right? hoping. Okay. But did you see when J. Michael Triskinsky talked about this in April. I get it was to the effect of, hey, we've got this thing coming for Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And it's like, and, and look, I'm not announcing it. It's already done. You know, it'll be out in like weeks. And it was just one of these things like, what? So that's what you're hearing? There's a couple more behind this? Or? Yeah, that's what I've, I, I've heard that it, this is supposed to be the beginning of a new kind of oh, series of these. That so. would be so cool. So buy it when it comes out All right. on digital and I will, Blu-ray. I will, I will. Oh, speaking of Warner Brothers again, were you, from where you live in Toluca Lake, able to see the smoke from the fire on the Warner Brothers? I didn't, I didn't look for it. Yep. I think I was working. Okay. I was also suffering from a horrible medical issue okay. this week, and I was probably in pain, curled up in a ball somewhere. Mm. But my favorite tweet was when someone had a picture of the smoke, and they said, the Animaniacs have crowned a new pope. <laughs> 
no, I saw the same thing. It was a picture of the water tower with the black smoke behind it and somebody to the effect of, oh, geez, I hope Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are okay. Or, you know, <laughs> or, and, and there was another one to the effect of, well, this, what, this is what happens when Hulu, you know, opted not to renew the Man Animaniacs reboot beyond the third season. <laughs> so speaking of the Animaniacs reboot, okay, so remember, that got just two seasons. And when they announced that it was going to Hulu, it was two seasons of 13 episodes. That debuted November of 2020, did well enough that by February the following year, they announced a limited extension. I mean, they only went 10 episodes for a third season. But even then, they announced in December of 2002 that the third extension, which debuted in February of this year, that's it. There would be no more episodes of that. So It's almost like that third season mm. of only 10 episodes was produced during the main body of production and only released later as a quote-unquote third season. Listen, Jim, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but Man. looking at the way that these companies treat animators and the staff, mm -hmm. that seems like it. what, what it was. But, mm. you know, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the success of these animated movies and TV shows this year give them a little bit more leverage in terms of getting the deals that they deserve. Because you and I know that they work just as hard as the live action folk and oh, so, if, sometimes harder. Yeah, so. yeah, those stories that were coming out about um, across the, the Spider-Verse, the, the year long, you know, seven days a week, 11 hours a day working on that. Yikes. Before we, we leave Hulu here, I want to remind everybody that later this month, July 24th, uh, we're finally going to get season 11 of Futurama, which again, as Drew will point out, yes, 10 episodes, but since they announced they were making 20, we know 12 is coming and that's it. Also, and this is just for my own selfish pleasure here, but uh, August 8th, season three of Only Murders in the Building will debut. So uh, also on Hulu. So that will be my whiteboard, Drew. I want less a whiteboard mm -hmm. and more of a corkboard with string attached <laughs> to it. Sort of like I want I want this to look as much like it would be in the Riddler's hideout as possible. Well, OK. We can just make that happen, Jim. I don't know. Trust me. That, this is not a body you want to see in a leotard. But I will work on that. OK. And speaking of working, folks, when we get back from this break, after we, we chat about what's going on in the Disney live-action feature side of the street, Drew's going to tell a story about what's been going on with Light the Fuse. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. 
This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Okay, Drew, you wanted to talk about the Kazazi Moto trailer? Yeah, I mean, this was something that debuted at Annecy that I didn't get to see, mm-hmm. but is a collection of short. It's sort of like Star Wars Visions, but with, for African mm-hmm. animation studios. Mm-hmm. And it looks really cool. It's executive produced by Peter Ramsey, mm-hmm. who we love. Of course. Yep. From Guardians. What was the Guardians? What was that thing called? Called Rise of the Guardians. Uh, he, Rise of the Guardians. He also yes. was one of the the three directors on the original animated Spider Man uh, into the Spider Verse. Yes, yes, and he's directed episodes of The Mandalorian and That's right, Ahsoka. That's right. This year, That's so. right. You know, yeah. So good stuff. So. so it looks it looks very cool, and uh, I love that Disney is partnering with with African studios. Mm-hmm. It looks really really fun. Did you you watch the trailer, Jim? I did. I did. And I like the look of it, like the color palette. I mean, it's just like, okay, this this will be cool. On the other hand, the whole taking classic Disney shorts and and remastering them for Disney Plus. I mean, I I get that it's cool that these will now be accessible to folks who signed up for the subscription streaming service. In fact, that's been a constant drumbeat the effect of, you know, where's the back library? Where's this film? Where's that film? So uh, what are your thoughts on this project? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think it is it is cool that they remastered them. Mm-hmm. I think that they need to put stuff on. I mean, the fact that the 100th anniversary is this year, yeah. and every month I look to see if there's any new catalog stuff on the, on the platform, and there's just nothing. Mm-hmm. And the way that Disney has kind of started to turn away from Disney+, Plus, I fear that those things will never get properly remastered and cleared. Um, I know that the clearance issues are are something that has held up a lot of the yeah. archival television programs mm-hmm. or theme park stuff. Mm-hmm. But it just seems weird. Like, why couldn't they put the you know Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye primetime special yeah. on yeah. for Indy or? I don't know. It's it's a constant source of frustration, I feel like, especially when we had things like Vault Disney, which you and I would stay up until the wee hours of the morning watching and taping and, you know. It was this wonderful time capsule. You could only see terrible, you know, specials from the 1970s. But at the same time, they were amazing snapshots of, of what was going on in in the company at that time. And they, they look good. They look good. I, I cannot tell you the amount of times I've watched that incredibly cringeworthy opening of Disney MGM Studios special. Mm. That's like two hours long. Give it to me in HD, Jim. I want to I want to see <laughs> okay. I want to see Michael Eisner mugging in 4K. <laughs> By the way, did you watch that that uh Mighty Ducks special on ESPN Plus? No. No. It's it's called Once Upon a Time in Anaheim. It's only an hour. Okay. Which is not great because they kind of try to fit everything into an hour mm-hmm. but they got Eisner to talk about the Mighty Ducks oh. which is really interesting and and the stadium and everything and Holy how that all came to be cow. I love that moment in Disney history where, where Eisner you know really got into sports I mean the company bought that chunk 
of the uh, the Los Angeles Angels. And I mean, I remember I was just talking with Jim Shul about how Kathy Magnum was in charge of redoing the stadium there. And they created, you know, this amazing piece of rock work that whenever they had a home run at a at an Angels game, this would be where the fireworks would erupt from. And, yep. and it's just sort of, you know, but again, it was it's classic Eisner. You know, he's enthusiastic until he's not, and then the steel door descends, and, you know, we're no longer in the sports business. And it's like, really? Really? Yeah, they, they flirted with buying the Lakers at one point. So, oh, I mean, that's oh how serious they, God, yeah. That's but I, my favorite thing about the Mighty Ducks, mm-hmm. Jim, and you'll appreciate this, is, you know, since the stadium was already created, Mm-hmm. Eisner couldn't have a hand in oh. the architecture of it. So what did he do? He hired Frank Gehry to design the practice center uh, of, for the Ducks. Of course. Of course, yes. Of course. So, yeah. so you had a, a, yeah. a building that looked like it was going a million miles an hour. That's right. Okay. The postmodern <laughs> ma- masterpiece uh, that is now home to, like, you know, uh, little kids' birthday parties or whatever. Oh, yeah. that's so, so funny. Now, yeah. we, we were just talking about Disney's hundredth anniversary and, and another component of that uh, did you see where later this summer the slew of disney and pixar movies will be showing up again uh, returning to theaters for brief runs and that sort of thing i saw that yeah and i don't want to be negative here but if, if i were picking things to put back into theaters. I mean, I get it. It's the 100th anniversary and, you know, let's do some films from the 70s. Let's do some, some films from the 80s. Let's do some things in the 90s. But it's like there were those of us who really wanted to see Soul on the big screen. I agree completely. Yeah. I agree completely. Or, or for that man, uh, Turning Red or Luca. The notion of getting to see those three up on the big screen. I mean... So, you know, let's go back to the movie theater and see The Lion King again. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't do that. Yeah. But I mean, it's just it just seems like a missed opportunity. And and I think at a time when maybe the folks up in Emeryville are feeling a little dinged through kind of the one-two punch of what happened last year with Lightyear and now what's going on with Elemental and the chance to get to see some of the, the films that they labored on finally up on a big screen. I just wish somebody had thought to do that in addition to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I'm going to go out and see the rescuers again on the big screen. It'll be fun. But we, we've been talking about films that have come out and not quite done the business that they expected to. And, of course, The Little Mermaid, uh, the Rob Marshall remake of the Disney hand-drawn classic from 89, came out in May of this year. And, and right now, it literally is the fifth highest grossing film to date of all of 2023. It's done 277 million stateside, a 209 overseas. So it's over the half a billion threshold worldwide. But Drew, you and I were pre-gaming and you were talking about how this is not what the company expected from this movie, right? No, absolutely not. They were hoping for something closer to Beauty and the Beast, or even Aladdin, mm-hmm. which crept over the, the one billion dollar mark, mm-hmm. basically because Korea loved it so much, and people were going time and time again. Really? It's a, yeah, Korea is what pushed. Yeah, it was by. like a Korean phenomenon. Yeah, wow, yeah. That it's really interesting. But yeah, this is going to make about half of what they predicted, and honestly, mm-hmm. it probably won't make that. Any maybe any money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure merchandising well, but you know they say that mm-hmm. you have to make three times your production budget there to break even. And as you know, Jim, this thing was beset by problems oh, yeah. and yeah. COVID shutdowns mm-hmm. and 
the amount of post-production tinkering mm-hmm. that went on with it, the amount of CGI. I mean, this must be one of the most expensive movies Disney has ever yeah. produced. Yeah. And they, you need more than half a billion. I know half a billion sounds great, but no. for something like this. No, no, no. You, know. you, you need a number that's far north of, of this point to, to finally come out of the red. And you did actually did a, a sit down with, with Sean Bailey, the gentleman in charge of Walt Disney Studios. And you guys got to talk the length and breadth of the live action Disney business. I mean, which, remember, started back in March of 2015 with Kenneth Branagh's you know, Cinderella makeup. Yeah, I would argue my conversation with Sean is much better than what was in the New York Times a couple weeks ago. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, it seemed it was seemed like a weird kind of political maneuver mm-hmm. to get Sean out in the press, but yeah, I mean what's remarkable is how little things have changed since I talked to him in 2017. Didn't Sean when you talked with him Talk about there was literally sort of a break point as the effect of these are the films we'll do live action of, but not these. You know, wasn't there kind of a a line they weren't going to cross? Yeah, I mean, he he said like late 90s, early 2000s, Mm -hmm. which Moana is literally filming in August. I just ran into Jared Bush, actually, at the the Hollywood Bowl. He he said it was weird kind of, you know, rewriting his, Mm -hmm. his own screenplay because he wrote the new version as well. Oh, how weird. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, so, I mean, 2016 to 2023 mm-hmm. is not not exactly a, a large gulf of time. No, no. And I think that that was maybe, maybe they're readjusting because of things like Little Mermaid not performing like they thought they would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't really understand why they've kind of dropped off. Maybe there's just so many, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, the one interesting thing from the New York Times article mm-hmm. was that he's thinking of The Lion King, and you and I are both fascinated by this, as a new mm-hmm. universe mm-hmm. like Star Wars or Marvel that will support different stories within that structure, which is, frankly, bizarre considering how static and emotionless that new version of the movie was. I mean, you and I saw the footage from Barry Jenkins' new movie, which is... Yeah. Is considerably more interesting looking, I would say, but mm-hmm. still, those animals have no expressions. No, so I don't know what. No, when Top Gun Maverick came out last year, Drew was going to go see this on the biggest possible screen, and I wound up watching it on a plane on the you know three inch by six inch screen, and it was still it was an amazing movie. It was a great time. I really enjoyed it. On the other hand, on a previous trip out to the West Coast, I was killing time. And I wound up watching the Lion King live-action remake again on that little screen on the back of a seat of a, of a plane. And it was terrible. I mean, it was just it was the very thing you're talking about, where particularly with the CG animal versions of, of Pumbaa and Timon and, and the like, I, but now tiny faces and tiny expressions, and it just did not work for me. And it was just sort of like... This is kind of a slavish copy of what we did in, you know, this scene is a slavish copy of the, the hand-drawn animated version of Monday Form. And this scene is a, a slavish copy. And it's like, yeah, what is it's, the it's, point? It's a, it's a real lack of imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's also very interesting that with all the technological prowess that we have now, mm-hmm. it's not as dazzling as what 50 overweight white guys could come up with in Burbank. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, how is this possible? Yeah. Like. There is just no, that's why part of me really loved Peter Pan and Wendy because mm. at least it it went outside of 
the yeah, 53 yeah. original and mm-hmm. kind of incorporated new elements and wasn't so slavishly devoted. And mm-hmm. I worry that the closer the movie is yeah. to the closer the original movie is to the release of the new one, mm-hmm. the more indebted they feel to it. The next thing we're going to see, March of, of 2024, is Snow White. And I was talking with somebody at the studio who basically said, well, we know that one will do better at the box office because we have two white leads. Everybody who dug in there... No, he- we don't have two. Rachel Ziegler is uh, is uh, Latin. Interesting, because that, that was not what I was told. Colombian, Jim. She's Colombian. Fascinating. Okay, but, yes. you know, but they just figure, well... People aren't going to notice that, you know, because, again, the name is Snow White, you know, and it's just sort of like, right, you know, as right. opposed to, you know, the, the having a, a lovely, talented African-American teen play Ariel in The Little Mermaid and that somehow put the brakes on what it's going to make. But but at the same time, uh, Gal Gadot was out. She was talking with Vogue Hong Kong about working on this project uh, last week at their boats. And she was saying, I think I, it was so much fun to play the evil queen. There's something delicious about the part because it's a fairy tale and she's the first Disney villain. And I wanted to make sure that we kept the, the queen delightful and delicious and wanted to make sure we knew how she ticked, that her, her evilness was interesting and not just flat. And so evidently the script for this thing, this Mark Webb movie, They've introduced an element of complexity to the relationship between Snow White and the Evil Queen. There's a, a kind of a mother-daughter thing going on here, but uh, boy, here we go. Well, but at the same time, it's just what's interesting for the motivation of Ghetto's uh, Queen characters. So, like, what happens to a woman when she feels she's not relevant anymore? What what can come out of that? And uh, beyond that, she talked about the challenges of production. That the, the costume for the Evil Queen was heavy as hell, and because it was a it's a musical, and evidently the Queen has two numbers, so she could stretch her performance and make it that much more animated. And she hasn't seen it yet, you know. So it's like it was super fun to make, and I can't wait to see how it turns out. That's the other thing that I think is wrong with these movies mm-hmm. is that. They sit in the oven Mm -hmm. for so long that they come out and they have no flavor. They are burnt to a crisp, Jim. And they, there is just nothing left. Everything's been pre-vised and post-vised and noted to death. And there is just nothing there that's, I mean, think about how cool an Aladdin made by Guy Ritchie sounds on paper and Mm -hmm. then what it was, what it ended up being. You know, it's like, there's just no personality to these things. And it's just, um. They shot this movie years ago. We saw footage of it at D23 last year. At the same time, we just saw in the trades this past week about Sarah Poli, who won the Academy Award this past year for Best Adapted Screenplay for Women Talking. She's been signed to direct a Bambi redo that Disney first talked about when? Early 2020. And... Are you lying awake at night? You know, there's so many unanswered questions, you know, <laughs> about the original Bambi. I mean, Sarah Polly doing it is very interesting. I get to that. Me. I get that. But on the other hand, I thought the exact same thing when they said that Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks were going to get together and make Pinocchio. And dear God, I keep meaning to circle back on that movie to the effect of it, it can't be as bad as I remember. But it was just so bad uh yeah it's uh it's bad Mm -hmm. i don't know why i don't know why it was so 
bad. But I, I was kind of hoping, holding out hope. But yeah, I mean, Sarah Polly, I think it will not, you know, allow for something okay. on the Pinocchio level. Okay. I don't know. I mean, it, comparing women talking to whatever, to the witches, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, ah, those are two very different Damn. films. But Damn. I think that you could do something really interesting with Bambi mm-hmm. by making it kind of an animal rights type movie, but I don't know if that's going to be something that Disney wants to do. That's interesting. They Again, they sound good on paper, Jim. They sound wonderful on paper, and then you watch them and you are just uh, bored to tears. You and I have talked about how much, you know, how big a fan we are of Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois. I, seeing the original How to Train Your Dragon in theaters was honestly one of my favorite times at the movies. So, a less of a fan of the the two sequels. I, I I don't think, you know, it was kind of the Xerox of a Xerox thing. So the notion that here's Universal borrowing a page from Disney's playbook and getting its own live action, you know, How to Train Your Dragon uh, in production, that's a little concerning too. It's like, oh no, other people doing this. You want to see a live action Despicable Me with Steve Carell? <sighs> don't lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one. Maybe that one. All right. Well, uh, before we close out here, we have been teasing this news forever, which was why it was so delightful this past week to to finally sort of have it out there in the world that Drew and Charles Hood's wonderful Light Diffuse podcast got a, a, a kind of an extended name. Yes. Yes, it did, Jim. Uh, yeah, we are now Light Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Can you believe it? Yes, I can. You and Charles worked so hard for so long, interviewing so many people and getting so many great stories out there about the, the Mission Impossible films. I, it's easy to see how you guys would have come on Paramount's radar and it's like, we should bring that in-house. But can you talk a little bit about how that happened when they reached out? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I literally pitched them, I think, two years ago mm-hmm. on the idea of bringing us in. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those processes. Mm-hmm. Jim, you know how the, how the studio system works. Well, um, we were just talking about the Disney live-action animated thing staying in the oven for two, three years at a time. So, you know. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I, I, it was just like, uh, you know, slowly we, we, we kept on them, and I think our, our status grew, mm-hmm. and obviously there are two new movies coming out, including Da-da. Mission Impossible: Da-da. Dead Reckoning Part One, yep. opening on July twelfth. Mm-hmm. Get your tickets now. But a lot of it was Tom. Uh, honestly, a lot of it was him, just fighting for us and making sure that we got what we deserved, and. We owe a lot to him and Christopher McQuarrie and Eddie Hamilton and the whole gang um, making the movies because they were always really passionate about what we were, were doing and very helpful. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, this is this is a new era. This is We've got such great guests coming up and um, multiple episodes every week. So if you're a fan of Light the Fuse, get ready. But if you're not, I'm sorry, I guess, because there will be many, many more. But would you mention that you also have, as part of this new under the, the Paramount umbrella, there's an animated film coming up? That Light the- yes, okay. we are doing a little something for Ninja Turtles. We're calling it Light the Ooze, Jim. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be. We don't know when those are going to come out, but we we've talked to Jeff Rowe already. Mm-hmm. I've seen the movie again, Jim, mm-hmm. and this is not. Me being a corporate mm-hmm. chill, but I really, it, it might be my favorite movie of the year, oh, honestly. Wow. I love it so much. Well, I, again, you know, think about how we, we talked about Mitchell's versus Machines back in the day. And so this is his next time up at bat. 
Yeah, Jackie Chan fans in particular will love what he does with Splinter. It is just oh. excellent. I, I loved the movie so, so much. But anyway, both of these movies are great. Mm-hmm. They're both coming out this summer from Paramount, mm-hmm. and we will be talking about both of them a lot on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. And again, you know, I have no right to be this proud and happy for you, you know, but I am. I'm just by extension. But you, knew, you, you you've been along for the, you know, yeah. I, I would check in with you periodically and say, oh, my God, it's not looking good, Jim. It's yeah, not looking good. And but now no, here we just, are. It's just so thrilling that it, it actually happened. That What you got, you and Charles managed to do when you were on the outside, you know, the interviews you got, the people you talked with, and just the notion that Paramount is now holding open the door. It's like, oh, cannot wait to listen to the shows that are yet to come. So again, just want to remind you folks that's that's Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Yes, we will be premiering on July 11, Mm -hmm. which is right in the the window of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 opening. So you can... Listen to us. Go see the movie. Go see the movie. Listen to us. Whatever you want to do. But there'll be tons of content coming out for Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, we have amazing guests. We have really amazing guests. So get ready. That is so cool. That is so cool. And by the way, we have a couple of cool podcasts here, too. We have uh, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Likewise, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. By the way, he has a, a podcast of his own, 32nd Street. And we also have Looking at Lucasfilm, and when Brian and I sit down next, we will talk about Dial of Destiny, which I'm, I'm waiting to hear the noise that Drew makes at this point, because you, know, the, the, you weren't happy with that movie, right? Um, No. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Have you watched it yet? Are no, you no, no. Again, this is my big movie day. I go out and watch okay. you know, everything back to back to back to back. And just, just text me when you get out. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts, and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also the soon-to-have-expanded name, uh, you know, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. <laughs> Given what just happened with Twitter this past weekend, is this kind of the final straw for you, Drew? Or what, what? It's, it's pretty bad, Jim. It's yeah, pretty bad. Yeah. It's like, if, if someone can get me a Blue Sky invite, apparently they were just deluged uh, yesterday with people joining, so... Uh, Maybe we'll head over to Blue. You'll you'll have to come with me, Jim. To yeah, Blue Sky, and I, then we can, I'm definitely yeah. thinking about it because it it was weird yesterday. Yeah, but yeah, Drew Drew Taylor like a Taylor shirt on Instagram and Twitter yeah. for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, here uh, Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media over at Facebook uh, as Jim Hill Media News. Let's see beyond that. If you nice folks uh, like what you heard here today and want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. But I think that'll do it. On behalf of Mr. Taylor, thank you for listening. And and again, just want to remind you, again, it, it's July 11th, you know, the official debut of... July 11th, Mission, uh, yeah, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast will be in your ears. Get ready, Jim. It's a fun one. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. And But we, too, will be back with a new episode sometime next week. But till then, thanks for listening, folks.